Let us pray. Lord, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be always acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. Amen. You may be seated. Well, being a parent is full of paradoxes. The kids you love with all of your heart can really frustrate you to no end. You try to give them all the freedom to explore this life and all their different interests while secretly harboring your own hopes and plans for their lives. And I think one of the strangest paradoxes that come with parenting is how you can see yourself in each one of your children and experience both pride and a little shame at the same time. We tend to see the things that we never really liked about ourselves reflected in our children. They inherit some mannerism or some habit, some tendency that you just never really liked about yourself. Now, to protect the innocent, I will spare you examples, but I think you kind of are getting what I'm talking about. Our Romans passage tonight introduces a very important building block for Paul's gospel. All human beings are born into Adam or in Adam. The gospel results in being reborn into Christ or being reborn in Christ. As children of Adam, we, we inherit a universal problem. That is, we all experience death. And this is a bit of a paradox, because we were not created for death, were we? No, we were created for life. You may remember that when God formed Adam, he breathed his own life into Adam's nostrils, as something that he did not do for any other of the animals. Having God's breath, we are intended to be always connected or united to God. And the paradox is that we are the creature, that is that the creature God intended for life has lost this God-breathed connection and unity and has experienced death. And what is worse, every child born of Adam and Eve is born without this intended connection as well. We all have inherited death from our original parents. But as we learned last week, the good news, the gospel, is that by the death of Jesus Christ, we have been reconciled to God. And as we'll see through uh, this, this evening, through one man, restoration is possible. Well, in recent weeks, we have been walking through St. Paul's exposition of the gospel in the book of Romans in order to understand what it is that we mean when we talk about the gospel. So contrary to what many people might think, being, uh, being a good person, uh, contrary to what many people think, being a good person or keeping some sort of law, whether that's the Mosaic law or some self-imposed set of rules, Paul says that the just shall live by faith, not by works, not by obeying the law, but by faith. 
So faith in Jesus Christ leads to the justification of sinners before God's holiness and glory. The result of this reality, as we learned last week in the beginning of chapter 5, is that we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. That as we long to be reconnected to God, as we were originally intended to be, and even though we suffer in this life, Christ's resurrection from the dead is the evidence and the guarantee that our longing, our hope, will be fulfilled. Now, today's readings sort of skip over, the Romans reading skips over chapter 5, verses 12 to 14, which sort of sets up our readings for this evening. So we'll begin with just a few brief comments about those verses. In verse 12, St. Paul concisely states three things. One, that through Adam, sin entered the world. Two, death was the result of sin. And three, sin and death spread to all Adam's descendants. So those are the, those are the three simple things that St. Paul says in five, uh, chapter 5, verse 12. In verse 13, he points out that death was the common reality of every human being, despite the fact that God had given no law until Moses. We mentioned that a few weeks ago. This in itself is a bit of a paradox, isn't it? Because how can someone sin unless they have a law that tells them what sin is? Well, in verse 14, Paul sort of addresses this paradox by saying that death reigned despite not having the law. That is to say that mankind was in a tragic situation, weren't we? We were living in a relative ignorance of God's intention for the human race because we were disconnected from him with no way to reverse course. And then Paul tells us something important the end of this passage, that Adam was a type of the one who was to come. So here we have what my Bible teacher, Dr. Walton Pedelford, some of you know Dr. Pedelford, this is what he calls the doctrine of the two captains. Each captain, Adam and Jesus, represents many. To some extent, what could be said of each of them could also be said of those they represent. To some extent, what could be said of each, Jesus and Adam, could be said of those they represent. And this brings us to our passage today. If you look in verse 15, Paul says, For if many died through one man's trespass, much more like the grace, much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. Throughout this passage, St. Paul is contrasting the effects of Christ's death and resurrection with the consequences of Adam's sin. Through the trespass of Adam, that is, because he ate of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, all of Adam's descendants inherit death. So think of this as sort of a genetic disease. We don't have a sin gene that we can pinpoint. That's not my point. I get that. I understand that. But the result is like a genetic disease, and that's a detriment to human thriving, to human health. 
So unlike that benevolent Nigerian prince that emails each and every one of us regularly to tell us that there's an inheritance out there waiting for us to claim it, that is an inheritance that we would love, right? But this is not like that. This is an inheritance that we do not want. It's inheritance of death. And by contrast, what we inherit from our captain, Jesus Christ, is a free gift of grace. You may remember a couple weeks ago when we talked about the faith of Abraham and how the promise made to him preceded the giving of the law. In other words, Abraham didn't have to adhere to a rule in order to receive the promise. He just believed God, and it was counted to him as righteousness. And this is what St. Paul calls grace. And he said it abounded for many. Paul's point in this verse is a comparison in magnitude, right? He says much more. That's a comparison of magnitude. Much more, he says, have the grace of God abounded for many. So that's a comparison of magnitude. The next verse continues the contrast, but makes a comparison of quality. Look at verse 16. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's, that one man's sin, for the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Now, this verse and those that follow will seem to be making the same exact point over and over. Paul gets to be like a broken record in this, uh, just in this passage. One man's sin resulted in death and condemnation for all his descendants. The other man's obedience results in the righteousness and justification. And over and over it goes. But there's a little detail that I want us to pay attention to in this verse. It says, if you notice, and, and, and look at your bulletin there. Follow along with me because there's going to be a little math quiz here, which is a terrible idea for me to be giving a math quiz. But look at this passage. Look at this verse, verse 16. For the judgment following one trespass brought condemnation. And that stands against what he says next. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. So I'm putting together a little equation here for you. Again, I don't want to make anybody break out in hives. I'm starting to panic myself, but here it goes. One trespass, the number one, one trespass plus judgment. So the judgment was followed, or the trespass was followed by judgment. So one trespass plus judgment equals condemnation. That's the equation. And that's the equation according to Adam. The other is many trespasses plus the free gift equals justification. So there's two things to note here. First is the result of each man's action. And the second thing to note is the number of trespasses. So we'll look at those first. Adam's action, which was a single trespass. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of fruit. <laughs> Don't eat of the tree of knowledge of good and evil. That was his trespass because he did. 
And that resulted in condemnation for many, the entire human race. Jesus' action, which was a single act of obedience, we're told, his work on the cross particularly, resulted in the justification of many, those who receive the free gift of grace. This is everything that's preceded the last few chapters. So this seems maybe straightforward enough. We've been talking about this the last few weeks. But let's look at the number of trespasses now. Death entered the world by a single trespass. Now, I don't want you to think about this trespass as sort of a minor infraction that God sort of overreacted to. I think this is sometimes our tendency when we read uh, the book of Genesis in the first few chapters. It's as if a parent has told their child not to eat a cookie. And what does the child do? He can't stand it, and he eats the cookie. The child cannot resist. And some, so sometimes we look at the fall of mankind as if God condemns Adam for eating a cookie. What's the big deal? This is a bit of an overreaction, isn't it? But Adam's trespass is more akin to a parent telling their child not to jump off of a cliff because jumping off cliffs will kill you. You see what I'm saying? In other words, the natural consequence of the trespass itself is death. That's it. That's the one trespass and now death to all. Now that's Adam's equation. One trespass plus judgment equals condemnation. But many trespasses plus the free gift equals justification. The many trespasses here are not the trespasses of Jesus, of course, but the sum total of every trespass by every human being ever created. This is Adam's trespass to the trillionth power or whatever the biggest... What is it, Dylan? What's the, what's the biggest number we know of? Okay, that. <laughs> While judgment followed Adam's trespass, Paul says that a free gift followed the many trespasses that we're talking about. So judgment, like death, we might say, is a natural consequence to disobedience to God. That's not the case with the free gift of grace. This free gift actually intervenes or prevents the natural consequences of death and, in fact, is far more powerful than the natural consequences. The result is that it equals the justification of how many? Many. The justification of many. Now, rather than the givenness of death, we have the promise of what? Life. Look at verse 17. For if because of one man's trespass, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness reign in what? Life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Again, Paul seems to get very repetitive here. But the point is that through our father, Adam, death reigns. That is, we must all undergo death. 
And we know that, yes, Adam and Eve and every subsequent generation has to undergo physical death. But we're understanding this as the taking out that connection that we have with God through him breathing his life into our nostrils. And we've lost that. And this is this is the death. This is the death. However, through one man, Jesus Christ, now we have life. So keep in mind what we said last week. Christ's hope was his resurrection. He suffered greatly in this life. But his hope was to be physically raised from the dead and return to his father. The whole point of his passion, that is his suffering and his death, was to be the one man through whom you and I could be cleansed from sin and through whom our full humanity could withstand and enjoy the total presence of the Lord. Our reconciliation to God, won by and through Jesus Christ, has restored humanity to the connectedness that our original parents enjoyed in the Garden of Eden. That is what you and I are created for. And you would never know this by watching TV or watching movies or scrolling through news feeds. Because the only message we see there is that we were created for self-expression. We were created for self-fulfillment of our individual desires. What a load of nonsense. As soon as we go down that road, we find that we are enslaved to our desires, enslaved to our passions. We can't stop. This is what got us into this mess that we're in today. Our original parents saw that the fruit on the forbidden tree was good for food. And so they ate it, despite God's warning. And we've been doing it ever since. But it is not, but it is, it is in our connection, our unity with our maker that we find ultimate fulfillment as human beings because that's what we were created for. We were created for life, not for death. Yes, we have passions. Yes, we have desires. And God has given us many of those things. But we pursue them according to his wisdom not our own. The problem is that like Adam, those desires are disordered. They're out of order. There may, be, there may have been a time when God would permit Adam and Eve to eat of that tree, but they took it out of order. That is, they took it without asking, with, without getting permission to do so. It isn't that these things are bad, though. It isn't like as if sex is bad. It isn't that food and drink are bad and sinful. It isn't that everything we inherit from our parents is inherently bad. It's just that we presume to take it what is not given to us or what is not yet given to us. We're impatient, right? And we think we know better. We can take what we want because that's what we're made for, right? No, And thus we commit many sins and offenses, don't we? But the good news 
is that the free gift of God's grace is so abundantly greater than the power of our many sins and offenses. And God's divine plan was to interrupt the natural consequences of our many sins and provide a way through the one man, Jesus Christ, that we might obtain what we need to what we need for full restoration, which is righteousness. Paul ends our section in verse 18 by saying, Therefore, as one trespass led to condemnation for all men, so one act of righteousness leads to justification and life for all men. For as by, by, the, one man dis, excuse me, by the one man's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, the many will be made righteous. So here is the promise Received by faith, through the one man, Jesus Christ, many will be made righteous. Well, I'm not sure where you are, where you're sort of located in Paul's understanding of these two identities, Adam and Jesus. To be in Christ is to be reborn and reunited to God through the sacrament of baptism which we'll talk about, we'll see next week in chapter 6 of Romans. Otherwise, we find ourselves still in Adam, still enslaved to sin, unable to repent without the free gift of grace. So if that is you, I beg you, please come talk to me. Let's talk about the gospel. If that's you, let's talk about the sacrament of baptism. Let's talk about the free gift of grace. Many of you, though, are reunited to God through the sacrament of baptism. You have received the free gift of grace, but you're painfully aware of your unrighteousness. Paul ends our passage with the phrase, many will be, will be made righteous. This is a future tense word. It's a promise. In his letter to the Philippians, Paul tells uh, his audience there, I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. You see, we are works in progress. All that Paul has been telling us is that these realities are done deals. It was finished upon that cross. We don't waffle between Adam and Christ and Adam and Christ. We are firmly planted in Christ Jesus, even though we struggle with sin every day. And what we need to understand is that we are hidden in him and he is making all things new which includes you and me. He is at the right hand of the Father. That is, humanity is now redeemed and forever in the presence of the Lord through Christ. So if you're discouraged today, lift up your countenance. Lift up your hearts. God's love is not dependent on how holy you might feel today or at any given time. He's already demonstrated his love for you in that he sent his son to die while you were at odds with him. (laughs) 
Now that you're reconciled to him, what could you possibly do to lose his love? Nothing. The truth is, he began a good work in you and has promised to complete it. So rest in the promise. Accept it. Receive it. It is a free gift of grace. And the whole point of this passage is that that gift is far greater than any number of trespasses any of us may commit. So today, get back up and trust in the promises of God because the victory has been won. Beloved, this is what we mean when we talk about the gospel. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, and all that he has done for us. And we ask, Lord, that you would help us, that you would inspire us, stir us up in your Holy Spirit, not to despair, not to run out of hope, but to have great confidence in the work that you have already accomplished and the promises that you have made to us. Would you increase our hope? Would you increase our joy? Would you increase our imagination to imagine life with you as we were created to experience? We pray that we might go out from this place after receiving your body and your blood to be your hands and feet, your presence to those around us, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.